What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, and believe it or not, this is episode 80. That's right, the 80th episode of the Quarterly Report podcast. And whether this is your first or 80th time listening, I appreciate each and every one of you all. And we've got a great show in store for you. Mike Bassetti from RaptorsRapture.com. He's my guest this week, and we've got so much to discuss regarding the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, they have undergone significant changes, not just to the roster, but on the sidelines as well. And nothing seems to be slowing them down. So we've got plenty to discuss regarding the Raptors, including just how high their ceiling is. And as we stand here right now, early November, it seems like sky is the limit, right? Also, a very controversial topic, if you will, uh, a topic that both extremes seem to think a solution is rather easy. But as most things are in life, it takes a little nuance to solve a complex issue. And that issue is the pay scale of the WNBA. So we're going to be adults about this. We're going to discuss that topic and more in our fourth quarter this week. But we got so much more to in store before we get there, including our number one topic. This week. First you know, the saying is, you know, give the legends their roses while they're still here. And if for those of you who haven't heard that saying, or if I butchered it, it basically means, you know, when, when someone passes, when someone who's respected, someone who has um, affected you positively, legendary people, maybe it's from your family or on a larger scale, when they are here before they pass away, let them know how much you appreciate them. You know what I'm saying? Like when people pass, there are always these kind of large gatherings, especially for celebrities or people with any type of notoriety. You know, they have these big kind of celebrations of life, but it happens after they pass. So many times they don't get to, to receive the praise that you have for them, right? Receive the admiration that you have for them while they're living, while they're able to, you know, smell the roses, if you will. So again, the, the, the saying, the cliche, if you will, is give your loved ones, give the legends their roses while they're here. And I really adhere and believe that. However, it pains me to also, you know, do the flip side. And despite someone's age and despite how legendary someone may be, from time to time, we need to reel some of our loved ones in when they get out of line. This is my, that. This is that uh, position. This is the position that I am taking this week for the first quarter. And it's going to someone who is respected, someone I have the utmost respect to, someone who knows the NBA far more than I can ever dream, someone who whose writings I have read over and over again. He's on television all the time now. This man, of course, is the legendary Bob Ryan. But I have no problem heaping the roses to Bob Ryan. You know, again, he's a legendary writer, one of the, the greatest American writers when it comes to sports, especially basketball that we've ever had. Someone who has, you know, helped me, helped shape how I view basketball, my favorite sport, one of the fav my favorite things to do. 
watch basketball, and I've been guided through that by reading the words of Bob Ryan. However, Bob Ryan jumped up out the window this past weekend, and if I'm going to heap praise on him while he is still among us, and God bless he is, I also got to make sure we check him when he jumps out there because, man, this weekend he sent out a tweet that there's really only five words that you can say after reading it. And those five words are, man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. Seriously, Bob Ryan, I mean this with the utmost respect. Sit your ass down, bro. For those of you who are unaware, Bob Ryan, former writer of the Boston Globe, amazing writer. You, you, depending on your age, you probably know him best for regularly being on Around the Horn on ESPN. Again, legendary writer. You cannot talk about sports writing in America without mentioning Bob Ryan's name, especially if you're an NBA fan, okay? But Bob Ryan jumped out the window this weekend with this tweet of all things. Twitter, really, if you don't understand, Twitter, man, is going to be your downfall. Now, this has this cannot harm Bob Ryan in any way, but it just was a reminder to me that no matter how much you look up to someone, no matter how well-respected someone is, no matter how old they are also, everybody can put their foot in their mouth. Bob Ryan tweeted this Saturday night, Alabama, LSU, was taking place, obviously the biggest game in college football, huge showdown with major playoff implications. And Bob Ryan decided to tweet, quote, there are true sports fans or selective sports fans. True fans follow pro, college, golf, tennis, and international sports, among others. Don't say you're a true sport fan if you're not fixated tonight on Alabama LSU. Doesn't make you a bad person if you don't give a Bleep. This is a family show. My daughter listens, so I'm not going to say that. But that's what his tweet was. Who the hell made Bob Ryan the, the arbitrator of sport? Like, if that's not the most trash take ever. If, I mean, think about the audacity to tell other people, you're not a true sports fan if you are not fixated on Alabama LSU. Let me tell you something. I didn't watch two minutes of that game. I had no desire to watch Alabama LSU. I know I already knew who was going to win. Didn't matter. It was being played in Death Valley. I have seen LSU play this year. I have seen Alabama play this year. I knew Alabama was going to win. Why the hell did I need to be fixated? The word he chose fixated on Alabama LSU on a Saturday night. As if that's the litmus test on me being a fan of sport. Man, sit your ass down. And I mean that with the utmost respect. But Bob Ryan, see, this is the thing. This is the thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago where you're like Odell Beckham. A lot of people were uh, blaming Odell Beckham for his antics, if you will, after receiving his huge contract. And I was like, nah. I had no problem with what Odell was saying. The only issue I took was that Odell should have said all of that last year because everything that he said was true, criticizing Eli Manning. Eli Manning is trash. I want to have people around me to let me know if what I'm doing, what I'm saying is wrong. Don't let me, just don't prop me up there to make a fool out of myself. For real.
anybody who loves me, anybody who's got any type of love for me, when I get older, you know, once this show pops off and gets all the way on, don't let me, don't let me get old like that. If I got a trash take, let me know my take is trash. At least let me kind of speak my, my piece so you can kind of see where I'm at. But don't let me get out there in front of the world and say something dumb like what Bob Bryan said on Saturday night. Because that is, that is absurd. And look, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, right? It doesn't make me think less of Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan is still a legend. This doesn't make me think less of his, his opinions on sports. It makes me think that he is a narcissist. <laughs> Nobody can tell anyone else how much of a sports fan they are by what they choose to watch or what they choose not to watch. That's insane. I'm a huge boxing fan. This weekend, Yusik Balu, Alexander Yusik, Tony Balu, they're fighting. I'm watching. Everybody who I know who loves boxing will be watching. Okay? Two of the best cruiserweights, an action-packed fight on the zone. If you don't want to watch it, that doesn't mean that you're not a huge boxing fan. Hell, I'd be willing to bet that Bob Ryan's not going to watch it. You talk about two of the best fighters. Usyk is in my top five pound for pound, and most fight most fans, if not top five, top ten, he may be the best fighter in the world. Anthony Joshua thinks so. He's fighting a top fight, a top flight boxer, in a fight that's going to be wildly entertaining. No one would jump out there and say, "Hey, Bob Ryan, if you're not watching this fight Saturday night, you're not a real sports fan." Bob Ryan's ass wouldn't say that. You feel me? People like what they like. If you didn't want to watch LSU and Alabama play because they they play every year and there's nothing that has that LSU has shown you over the, the course of a half a decade that would make you believe that they could beat Alabama this year, why on earth would you watch? If you're a hockey fan and you wanted to watch the NHL or you're an NBA fan and you wanted to watch the NBA or maybe... You're just a regular person who doesn't spend or devote their entire life to watching sports. That doesn't mean you're not a sports fan or that you're less than. It means that you chose to do something else. I know sports fans who don't even watch the Super Bowl. You can't tell me that they're not real sports fans. That was just crazy to me. Absolutely crazy to me. Y'all, I'm telling you beforehand. I'm 35 years old right now. Do not let me get old like that. Don't let me get to a point where I'm so comfortable in who I am that I have no kind of, no ability to view things from a different perspective. Don't let me get like that, please. Somebody close to Bob Ryan needs to literally do the angry man and tell him those five magical words because we all need to hear them from time to time. It's okay, your legs get tired. Sit your ass down. It's okay. You need to stretch out. It's all good. Sit your ass down. Bob Ryan, just because LSU Alabama means a lot to you does not mean it is the litmus test on whether or not you are a true, quote-unquote, true sports fan, whatever that means. So, Bob Ryan, you are a legend. Bob Ryan, you have helped shape the way I view the NBA. Bob Ryan, no one can ever tarnish your legacy when it comes to writing 
specifically when it comes to writing about sports in the NBA. But on this one, legendary Bob Ryan, angry man, holla at him for me. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your ass down. All right, y'all, that was the first quarter. Let me know. What did, first off, what did you guys think about the game? Because I didn't watch it. Like I said, I had no interest in watching it. But maybe you did. If you did, let me know. Tweet at me at quarterly show, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show, or email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Let me know how the game was, how excited you were to watch it, and if you agree with the legendary Bob Ryan. Did you have to watch that game to be a true diehard sports fan? Or was he wilding the way I feel? I think I'm pretty sure most of y'all feel the way I do it on that. All right, y'all, we're going to keep things moving with our second topic this week. Second You know, quarter. there are certain things that exist in the sports atmosphere, especially this country, that have become beyond tiring. The Cowboys being America's team, real quick aside, Michael Irvin versus Stephen A. Smith, I don't even really rock with first take like that. But that joint was hilarious. Like, no one who, who could lay their eyes on that can deny that was amazing television. But the concept of the Dallas Cowboys being America's team, come on. We way off that. We are way off that. And then the Cowboys fans, I know y'all going to jump in my mentions. It's all good. Y'all know y'all trash. Y'all watch Monday Night Football. Y'all know y'all trash. But there's some other things that exist. I've long since railed on the idea of parody and how we as American sports fans crave parody, right? Anytime though it exists, anytime there's a big move that happens in the NBA or right before the NBA season, you'll see all these people, all these quote unquote sports experts and analysts jump on their social media platforms or on their television platforms, or whatever the case may be screaming. This is why the NBA is unwatchable and all this other stuff. The, the people who hate the NBA are some of the most annoying people that exist in the sports world. That's that's my Bob Ryan take, right? But they'll 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 go on and on about how parody or the lack thereof of the NBA is so bad for the league and then they'll tell you that you have to watch college football. Where we all know Alabama is clearly the best and we've known that for the last 3 years. Like you could at the beginning of the year pick Four teams who will make it to the playoffs, and you'll probably get 75% of them right. Where UCF can go undefeated basically for two seasons now. Probably for two seasons and not smell an opportunity. It's not sniff an opportunity to, to play for a championship, right? But they'll be the people who are telling you about parity and how the, the NBA is, is unwatchable because of, of a lack of parity. These are all things that that agitate, aggravate, and annoy me when it comes to certain sports topics that we hear ad nauseum. But, man, I got to say, this week, something else took the cake. I can't stand the LeBron versus Michael Jordan back and forth because no matter where you fall on that debate, if you will, no one or nothing will change your mind. If at this moment you feel LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, and I don't think that's an absurd take, I disagree with it, but I don't think it's absurd, you're not going to change your mind. There's nothing that LeBron can do. He can miss the playoffs this year. It won't matter. You'll still think LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. Adversely, if you think Jordan is better than LeBron, 
99% of you all, myself included, won't ever change. There's nothing that LeBron can do that can change that. Like those positions are pretty much set in stone. But it's at least a debate, a real debate about who is the greatest basketball player of all time. The NFL had the nerve to have Michael Jordan prop up Sunday night football, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. And I'm not mad at him. It was an amazing promo. It was an amazing ad. But when are we going to Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers is by no stretch anywhere close to being LeBron James, Michael Jordan. We have to stop. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers may have, he may be the most talented player to ever play the position at a high level. He's got all the gifts. He's got all types of talent. He's by far more physically talented than Tom Brady. So if that is the debate, bong, I get it. But if we're talking about who's the greatest quarterback of all time, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stop. (laughs) You feel me? That's not a discussion. It's not. Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers is not a real thing. Again, we're saying who's more talented. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is more talented. I don't think Patriots fans, actually, Patriots fans are nuts. But most reasonable, intelligent sports fans will tell you, of course, Aaron Rodgers is more physically gifted than Aaron Rodgers. But Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback, maybe the greatest player ever in football, period. That's not a discussion. That's not even a debate. Like, what are we doing? Because in every other sport or any other comparison, we don't ever just who's more physically gifted. Because if that was the case, LeBron James is clearly more physically talented than Michael Jordan for the sheer fact that he's bigger and faster and can jump higher. He can do all of that. But that's not the debate. Who's greater? Right? And unfortunately, Aaron Rodgers has been dealt a bad hand. Because Aaron Rodgers is so talented... Because Aaron Rodgers is so amazing and great. Don't get me wrong. Aaron Rodgers is absolutely great and of his generation because I don't really consider Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady in the same generation, even though obviously they're still playing together. But Aaron Rodgers is the best player of his generation. His generation, in my opinion, again, comes on the heels of Tom Brady. But Brady... Brady's on another level. And again, Rodgers been, has been dealt a bad hand. Because of Aaron Rodgers' sheer excellence, he's had to continue to play under Mike McCarthy in that awful front office. Because when you have Aaron Rodgers, he's essentially the cheat code. You know? Because you can't be but so bad when you have someone like him. So his play alone will be good enough to keep you competing. They went to the, what, was it the NFC Championship game just like three years ago? And you look, how has that roster been helped? How have they added talent to that roster? Because I don't see it. But it's just the sheer will and the sheer talent of Rodgers that keeps that team afloat. But by doing that, you keep people, people who should not have their positions, people who should not still have their jobs, You keep them there because 10 wins is almost a given. A playoff berth each year is almost a given. 
off the sheer talent of Aaron Rodgers. And that does mean a lot. But Tom Brady, come on, bro. Again, life isn't fair. Magic Johnson was drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers who made the playoffs and still had arguably the greatest player on in the world on their roster in Kareem. And then they got Magic because of an awful trade. Michael Jordan was on the Bulls. The Sonics traded Scottie Pippen. The Spurs then traded Dennis Rodman to them years later. Michael Jordan benefited from playing on an amazing organization. Tim Duncan was drafted by the Spurs. The Spurs only got that pick because David Robinson got hurt. Sometimes it's just a tough luck of the draw. LeBron, if LeBron James was drafted in a, in a main similar to what Magic was drafted, LeBron would probably have seven to eight championships. If LeBron was drafted by the Spurs, God knows how many championships that he would have. It's a tough break. Sometimes great players go to bad teams and they're, again, by their sheer greatness, they are able to overcome. But we're talking about Tom Brady. I don't even know the last time Tom Brady didn't make the playoffs. I don't, Tom Brady has been to seven straight AFC championship games and it doesn't matter. Now look, a lot of that is Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick and that organization, they are run top-notch. But let's not act like Tom Brady isn't the thing that makes that thing go. You know, whether Gronkowski, Gronkowski is healthy and available, doesn't matter. They keep on winning. I don't know who their running back is. Doesn't matter. They keep on winning. I don't know who their wide receivers are. In fact, of the wide receivers that they have, I know Josh Gordon and uh, Julian Edelman. I don't know how good either of them are because all of their past Tom Brady just throws the ball and it just hits them. Like he's that good. He's that amazing. He's that amazing. What was that? Uh, Nate soldier. He looks like a great offensive lineman. The giants give him all this money. The Patriots don't miss a beat. He goes to the giants and he's trash. All of this, all of these things are true. All of them, they are, there's certain levels to them, right? Bill Belichick is obviously amazing and great at what he does, but so too is Tom Brady. They work in concert. And yes, it's not fair that Aaron Rodgers has to be surrounded by fools and people who should not still be employed at their positions, but that's part of the game. You know, is it fair that Michael Jordan had Phil Jackson as his head coach? Nah, but that's part of the beauty of it. That's part of his legacy, and that's part of why he's the greatest player of all time, in my opinion. But that also works to Tom Brady as well. And it worked with Joe Montana. Nobody rallied against, railed against Joe Montana because he had Bill Walsh and Jerry Rice. You can make, Jerry Rice is a greater player than Joe Montana, but guess what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's part of the game. That's, that's how we do this. That's how we do the math. And it's cool. That's fine. But we got to stop acting. But just because someone is talented, just because someone is amazing, we can't just start comparing any old body. Like, I love Aaron Rodgers. I love Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is not Tom Brady. He's not. And then you watch the game on Sunday, and you're like, well, this isn't the greatest game, regular season game showdown that they build it out to be. That game was trash, really. It wasn't. 
and neither of them played well. Now, so this goes back to another thing. We could do the is greatness and most valuable, right? Because Tom Brady doesn't necessarily have to play great to win because they will be schemed to a way that they can win and be competitive in games. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't play well, the Packers don't have a shot. They don't have a shot. So you can make the case that Aaron Rodgers is the most valuable player. Hell, Aaron Rodgers right now is better than Tom Brady. You know, that's, and, and I don't even think that's a really a debate. I think right now, Aaron Rodgers is a better player than Tom Brady. But Tom Brady, <laughs> we're like, people forget Tom Brady's peak. Tom Brady's peak is absurd. They were one Asante Samuels dropped interception away from going undefeated. <laughs> they went the whole season. Tom Brady has, if he wants to, he'll shatter almost every single record. Every single record. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers does that. Tom Brady's 40. And while he's not as good as Aaron Rodgers, he's still better than almost everyone else. Rodgers, Brady, and Breeze have lapped. You know, I'm not going to say that because Mahomes is playing very well. And so too is Cam right now. And so too is Phillip Rivers. But those three, for the last, I don't know, five years in terms of consistency, they've lapped the field. It's those three and then every other quarterback in terms of who's the best in terms of a five-year run. Sure, Matt Ryan will have a great year here and then he'll fall off. Sure, Cam will have a great year. Russ will have a great year. Uh, Big Ben will have a great year, but they can't string year after year after year the way those three can. So, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is number one right now, but the fact that at 40, Brady is still doing this? What are we talking about, man? What are we talking about? Rodgers has a long way to go to get to the point where we can start comparing him to Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like We can't act like Tom Brady's just this pup. Tom Brady's been balling for almost... For a decade and a half, really. Stop. You know, stop. The, I mean, I'm tired of the Michael Jordan-LeBron comparison. But at least that has some validity. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady? I love Aaron Rodgers. But that's no contest. All right, y'all. Y'all heard the horn. I had to get that off my chest. Man, I'm sorry. I, I, I probably sound very annoyed this week. And really, I'm in good spirits. I'm very, very happy. Happy. You know, but I just had to get those two things off my chest. My goodness. All week long, Michael Jordan talking about who's the best. I'm like, bro, is, is this something that we're actually debating? I don't know anybody who debates Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers all time in terms of greatness, the way we compare Jordan and LeBron. If you guys know that, know someone who does that, if you do that yourself, or if you think that's a valid comparison, I'd love to hear it. I love, I can't wait to do stoppage time next week because I got to hear some of your guys' takes on Rodgers versus Brady. Let me know. Interact. Let me know your thoughts. Tweet at me at Quarterly Show. That's Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. That's on Twitter. Email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Quarterly, again, spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. Again, QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. All right, guys. This week, halftime is, again, one of my favorites. So when my daughter... Grabs the microphone, my, my pride, my joy, the apple of my eye, my little princess. And she reads to you from the man, the myth, the legend himself. Someone who celebrated her birthday this week. 
the one and only Bill Walton. It's a segment I like to call Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Check it out. It's time now for Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Why do you have the winners of the genetic lottery? The biggest people on earth ladder up, fire up, just on top of their game. And when you put them in these little chairs that were basically built for preschoolers. Go down! I had the only beer in the Westman Hemisphere that made Bob Dylan's look good. One die! Anytime you bring Michael Odo Candy, Odo Candy onto your team, disaster is soon to follow. Big man, please! And that was... Bill Walton's Words of Wisdom. Y'all have to understand, that is by far my favorite segment that I ever do on this show. Ever. You know what I mean? Like I could do that for halftime every single week. Not just because I think it's cute. As a father, I listen to my little girl talk. You know what I'm saying? And I play it in my head. You know, when she's older, she'll be she'll listen back to that and get a kick out of it, right? But also, there's so many just absurd Bill Walton quotes out there. So as a proud father and maybe the captain of the Bill Walton fan club, I love that halftime more than all of them, all of them. And, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it even half as much as I did, even though that would be a lot. It would be hard to do because I love that segment. But the show must go on. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well. Hopefully you've enjoyed the first half of the show. But we're going to look to improve on what we started. Halftime adjustments have been made. We've got our game plan to finish the show up strong. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome my guest for the third quarter this week. Mike Bassetti of RaptorsRapture.com. He covers the Raptors for RaptorsRapture.com. He's also making his second appearance on the Quarterly Report podcast. Please to welcome back Mike Bassetti. Mike, how you doing, man? And thank you for joining me again on the Quarterly Report. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Always happy to come on. Oh, man, no problem. Thank you. Make sure you guys follow my guy Mike on Twitter. He's at MikeBowSports. And obviously, we're going to be focused heavily on the Toronto Raptors. And yes, the season is still very, very early, but thus far, the Raptors, along with, you know, Golden State, Denver, and possibly Milwaukee, they have, you know, dominated the league, have stood head and shoulders above the rest of the teams. And yes, we all know about Kawhi Leonard getting one of the best players. We're going to talk about him a little bit later. And yes, we do know that the Raptors won 59 games last season, the second best record in the league last year. But with all of that said, and again, the season is still very early, how are we assessing the start? Like, how optimistic are the fans in Toronto? Are we are we still get to the Eastern Conference, maybe go to the finals, or are we even thinking more? When kind of comparing the tiers in the NBA, it kind of feels like Golden State's on their own tier ahead of everybody else. Right. And then I would say... You know, Toronto's in that next tier up. It's, it's them, Boston. I still think Houston belongs on that tier for now. We'll see um, how the Nuggets and Bucks right. continue their success later this season. So I think Toronto is comfortably in that second tier. 
it depends, you know, how much of a believer you are that this lawyer's thing is all wrapped up. Personally, I'm I'm not someone who thinks that it's totally over. So I would say an NBA finals is or NBA championship is possible, even if they aren't, you know, the favorites heading in. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because look, we all know the Golden State Warriors are amazing. We're not gonna waste any time heaping praise on them. That goes without saying. However, I'm not one of these people who feel that DeMarcus Cousins is like an automatic, you know, championship for Golden State. In fact, I feel that Cousins, while it could work, he just brings just a large variable to the equation in Golden State. It could work. It also could blow up in their face. So I'm not one of these people who think it's a guarantee that the Warriors win this year. And when I look at Toronto, especially considering their versatility defensively, Man, you guys, you guys present all kinds of problems, not just for teams in the East, but for everyone, including Golden State. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I don't think the boogie fit is quite as clean as everyone wants to make it out to be. Right. right. He he presents some challenges for them, and I believe that if he fits in perfectly, it could be a situation where you think, holy crap, no one can touch this team. Right. But there's also a very real chance where he clogged it up a little bit, and he's not quite is good. For example, I don't even think he's in their best lineup. I still think that small ball with Draymond at the five will be their closing lineups. Yeah, with Iggy and Draymond at the five will be their closing lineups. So I don't think he'll even be closing games for them. But yeah, they're obviously the favorite going in. The Raptors have to know that they will be at a disadvantage if they do face Golden State. However, you're always a slipped ankle away from you know, really competing for an NBA title. Absolutely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guest this week, Mike Bassetti. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mike Bo Sports. He is a contributor to RaptorsRapture.com. Whether you're a Raptors fan or not, you want to make sure you check out that website if you love the NBA. Really dope stuff they have going on over there. So, you know, all of the acclaim and the attention will go to Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, and we'll touch on Lowry in a second, Nick Nurse as well. But for me, I think one of the reasons why you all are so dangerous is because of two players in particular, Pascal Siakam, who honestly I didn't think was going to get the start over OG Ananobi, but not only has he got the start, he's been phenomenal thus far this year. And then Serge Ibaka, a name that we all know, but I guess we all kind of left him for dead after the last really two seasons of his play. So for someone who covers the team and watches every game, whose season has been more surprising, if you will? Siakam's or Serge? Well, just to touch on what you were talking about, not sure if Pascal is going to start. I don't believe that Nick Nurse knew that Pascal Siakam was going to start all these games. OG Ananobi had a terrible situation with his father passing away and had to miss a couple games due to personal issues. Because of that, Pascal got the consistent start, and since then he's played so good that you can't take him out of the starting lineup at this point. Right. He's been a man on a mission. As far as the surprise of this season, I would have to say Serge Ibaka. Pascal Siakam was someone that you kind of saw little flash of flashes of this, and you always knew maybe this guy's going to break out at any point. Right. Serge Ibaka is you know, past his prime at this point in his career. To have this kind of renaissance here in his third season in Toronto has really been a breath of fresh air. And it's something that Nick Nurse has moved Serge Ibaka to a full-time center. 
He's yeah. played zero minutes with Jonas Valanciunas so far this season. And you can see just the impact that's having on his game. The lane's more open for him. He's able to finish around the basket in ways that he never did last season. And he's really playing the best basketball that he's ever had in Toronto. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Bassetti, contributor for RaptorsRapture.com. Make sure you check out the website and make sure you follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Bo Sports. And you were talking about how Serge is playing the best basketball of his Raptors uh, career. It's time to kind of move and look at another player who's not only playing the best basketball of his Raptors career, but playing the best basketball of his life. And that's Kyle Lowry. You know, I live in D.C. and, you know, Wizards fans, they'll swear up and down John Wall is the best point guard in the East and he's the top five point guard. And, you know, Boston fans will do the same thing regarding uh, Kyrie, Sixers with Ben Simmons, et cetera, et cetera. But none of them have been playing better than Kyle Lowry. Steph is playing a completely different game right now. But if you remove him, you can really make the case that Kyle Lowry has played MVP caliber basketball this season. He's a player who's always been really good. He's been underrated at times. Some would argue the majority of his career. But he's playing so much better than he's ever played right now. I'm left scratching my head. Where did this come from? Yeah, it's been it's really been impressive. He's attacking. He's more aggressive than I've seen him in previous years. He's really not afraid to launch it at this point in time. He's taken a couple three-pointers this year that have been, you know, at or damn near at the logo. So when you're watching him shoot shots like that, you know, it's it's a calibration of aggressiveness that I've never seen him play with before. That being said, he's not turning it into personal aggression as far as he's hitting other people, he's getting others open, he's leading the league in assists, and he's really knowing when to force the issue. Nick, uh, DeMar DeRozan being traded kind of allowed Kyle Lowry to have the ball in his hands a little bit more. Yes, Kawhi Leonard obviously is getting his shots, but as far as creation for others, um, Kawhi's just not as heavy into that as DeMar DeRozan is. So that's giving Kyle Lowry the ball more, and he's able to show it with more assists this season. Yeah, it's been really remarkable to watch. And again, Kyle Lowry has always been a really good basketball player. Um, and especially in his time during the Rap- his Raptors tenure. But if he starts playing at an all-NBA level, again, that changes the entire complexion of what this Raptor team can do, no matter who they play. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Mike Bassetti, contributor, writer for RaptorsRapture.com. Make sure you guys check that out, no matter if you're a Raptors fan or not. If you're an NBA fan, make sure you guys check that website out and follow Mike on Twitter at Sports. So the big question when it comes to the Raptors, obviously, is Kawhi. Um, The first time I had you on the show, it was immediately following the playoff loss. So, you know, we expected there could be changes, but no one could have foreseen this. Uh, We've had time to digest the trade. We've seen him on the floor. We've seen what his presence and Danny Green's presence means to this team. Um, So now that we have a bit of space to kind of take a step back and observe all of it, I'm curious what the initial reaction was in Toronto because Lowry, like we said earlier, is a beloved figure up in Toronto, but so too was DeMar DeRozan. And, and seeing him leave, um, and I feel like he received a lot of harsh and unfair criticism during his departure as well. Um, I'm curious how the fans and kind of the, the, the city as a whole dealt with the trade 
when it first went down? You know, I there was two factions. The fan base that was upset for Demar was pretty vocal. They believed that Demar stayed when a lot of other stars leave, and that's true. This fran- this fan base has seen Vince Carter force his way out. They saw Chris Bosh leave at the first chance he got. DeMar DeRozan was the one who chose Toronto and said, I want to be here and I like being here. Right. So it's it's tough when he shows that loyalty to send him out. With that being said, you know, this team wasn't getting better. This team was stagnant, and you had to do something. If you're general manager Masai Ujiri or team president Masai Ujiri, your job is to make the team better, and clearly you had to do something because this team wasn't good enough to do it as currently constructed. So he made the move. I believe it was the right decision to bring in Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, early on, it's looking like the right decision. We'll see if that continues throughout the year. Now that Kawhi's actually on the court and Raptor fans are seeing him on a night-in-night-out basis, they've started to swing this direction, I believe. Right. So everything starts to, you know, winning tears all, all fear. So everybody seems to be on board now. You know, I talked about this a few weeks back about the difference between really, really good players and special players. And it can't be overstated. And we've seen recently tons of really, really good players get moved and get traded. Uh, Kyrie Irving was traded. Jimmy Butler, Paul George, you know, Gordon Hayward, the list goes on and on. All of those players are really, really good. But they're not special. And there may be only eight special players in the entire league. And you guys got one when it came to Kawhi. And DeMar DeRozan's really good. He's, again, another really, really good player. But he's not the same type of player that Kawhi is. And the fact that you guys were able to get a Kawhi, not to mention Danny Green as a quote-unquote throw-in, and not have to give up OG or Siakam or a pick, it's just another reason why, Number one, Masai Ujiri is among the best GMs or presidents in this league, the very, very short list. And another reason why you guys are right there, not just to be able to get to the finals, but possibly win a championship. Exactly. You talk about those players who are kind of on the DeMar level or even just slightly above DeMar that are being dealt, like Kyrie, Paul George. Players like that have been dealt, and the players in the Kawhi class, when you talk about the Giannis's, Anthony Davis's those guys haven't been moved and we obsess over when they might move and think how long Anthony Davis trade rumors have been floating around and that guy hasn't been dealt yet because those guys just don't get traded so when one does become available even if there's no guarantee that he's going to stay with your franchise sometimes you just kind of got to push your chips into the table and make a bet on your team I couldn't agree more once again guys this has been Mike Bassetti my guest this week Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mike Bo Sports. He is a writer for RaptorsRapture.com. NBA fans, whether you're a Raptors fan or not, make sure you check them out. They've got a lot of really dope content over there. Mike, as always, man, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. I have a feeling the Raptors will be among the league's best all season long. So I look forward to looking and talking to you to break down the Raptors season as the year progresses. Yeah, absolutely, man. Hope to talk to you soon. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, meaning there's only one quarter left. So let's end this show off with a bang. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. There are so many people who claim to not be interested in women's sports, and the WNBA particularly, yet always talk about why the WNBA players should kind of distill a quote that's in the, the, the news lately. 
shut up and dribble, right? Just be happy that there's a league in America that you can make money and stop complaining because you guys don't generate a lot of money. I'm having this conversation because I think it is a layered and nuanced conversation, but I'm doing this in most part to shut those people up. No matter how you feel about the WNBA and the women and their salaries, whatever, I think we all need to be reasonable and adult enough to have a conversation that I find incredibly interesting. And I think after you're listening to this quarter, you will as well, but that there are no clear cut answers and the, 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 the kind of archaic, just be happy that there are women's league for you or no one watches all that stuff. That's just not true. And, I, and we got to get past that, man. We should all be better than that. One of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I feel like there's just not a lot of avenues where we can have fun and entertaining yet intelligent discussion. I hope I can provide that to you, not just in this quarter, but throughout these pods. So for those of you who are unaware, the WNBA has opted out of their CBA, right? Collectively bargained agreement, the collective bargaining agreement. Excuse me. And this is coming on the heels of almost a full year, probably a little bit more of growing concerns and angst and frustrations about their pay scale, their wages. We've heard it all throughout this season. And if you've been paying attention, it's been going on for a much, a much longer time period. And the fact remains, we have no idea how much the WNBA makes or doesn't make. We don't know. We just do not know. There have been a lot of numbers that have been thrown around. I would suggest all of you all to read, if you are interested in this, and I don't want to hear from the, the, you know, the cavemen who's like, oh, no one cares, blah, blah, blah. Because so many people who say they don't care about the WNBA sure as hell take so much time to tweet about it or to complain about it, right? Anyway, if you are interested in this, I couldn't recommend David Barry's article on Forbes about the WNBA. He's done several, and oddly enough, he's not apparently not writing for Forbes anymore because of, um, I don't even think he was harsh, really, in writing and critiquing the NBA and um, the people, the powers that be, if you will. But again, I would highly recommend reading David Barry's most recent, possibly final piece for Forbes magazine, which delves much deeper into the numbers and logic and logistics as well more so than I could ever think or imagine to do. But I think people on both sides of this argument are trying, are not trying, but are, I would say, taking a really basic approach to an answer or a solution that is far more complex. There are no easy answers. The people who say, oh, the women should just be happy with their money they're making. They're not making any money. They're not generating any income. So you got to take what you got to, whatever they're about anyone's offering you. That's wrong. On the flip side, the people who say, hey, you just got to pay the women more. That also was this, this not how business is run. So let's talk about it. The NBA reportedly last season generated $7 billion around approximately $7 billion, over a little bit over. I'm going to say 7.4, but let's just round number. $7 billion with a B. $7 billion. 
The WNBA is far more murky. There isn't really a concrete number that anyone can pinpoint to suggest this is how much money, how much revenue the WNBA generated. But the number that has been floated around the most is around 52.6 million, okay? Now, you'll hear terms like BRI, basketball-related income, and that's where the women of the WNBA are there making their biggest, um, they're taking their biggest issue at, right? Because they're saying that players in the NBA make 50% of the BRI, meaning any money that comes into the league, no matter how it's generated, ticket sales, the TV deal, uh, concessions, you know, the, the, the ad placement, placement on the jerseys, anything you can imagine, right? Them getting in bed with gambling, the sports books, the whole nine. Every dollar that comes in to the NBA has to be split 50-50 between the league and the players union, okay? And the WNBA, it's at 20%, 20 to 25%. I'm, I'm sorry for not having these numbers nailed down, but let's just say it's at 25%. So the women are saying, yo, we're not saying we want to get paid, you know, $47 million like the players are. Some of these players who are signing Superman's contracts, John Wall in D.C., for instance, will be making $37 million next season. Maya Moore is not saying she wants to get paid $37 million by the Minnesota Lynx, okay? What they are saying is they want a closer split than what they are getting between the men's league, the NBA, and the WNBA, which on its surface sounds extremely reasonable, right? These women are playing, the men are playing. They want a closer share than what they're getting. But this is when it gets tricky a little bit, right? Because, because we don't know how much the league is making, we don't know the cost. We know the NBA is making $7 billion. So imagine, if you will, you're making a billion. Let's say you have $2 billion, your entire hard right liquid amount of money that you can assess is two billion dollars and you want to pay your worker or you want to give to charity whatever the case you want to give half of your money away or not maybe let's let's not uh characterize it as give it away but you want to pay half of your money out to something no matter what it is whether it's your family or your workers or you know charity whatever the case may be you have $2 billion in cash liquid. So you write out a billion dollars, you still have that billion dollars left. You're good, right? You're going to be straight with the billion. You can't spend a billion dollars. None of us can, no matter how hard we try. Now let's flip it. Let's say you have $2 million and you want to do the same thing, right? 50-50 split, boom. I think it's fair. I want to write it. I want to write this money, give this money, right, to my employees who have earned it or to my family members or the charity, whatever the case may be for your, however it set, sits in your head, however you want to work this analysis. But you only have two million. I say only. Please let me get to a position where I, quote, unquote, only have two million dollars. But for this argument, say you have two million dollars. It's much easier to write off a check or to, to give a check to give half of your money when you have two billion as opposed to two million. Because if you give up one million dollars and you only have two, 
it's much harder than it is if you have two billion, right? Again, I would love to be in a position where I have two million dollars in liquid cash. I don't. But if I did, I do understand if I gave half of it away, I still haven't, you know, I still have work to do. I, if I have $2 billion and I wrote half of it off or gave half of it off, I'm straight still. I don't, I don't have to worry about my day-to-day -day finance. I mean, I don't have to worry about clocking in. You know, I'm good. Too. If I still have $1 billion, I'm far from fretting about my money. But if you have $1 million, oh, yeah, that can, that can leave you real quick. In a blink of an eye, we see it all the time. And that's kind of the point when it comes to, yo, the women want more, but it's it's a little difficult to say they should get what the men get in terms of the BRI. And I'm not saying that the women say they want 50%. They just want more than what they're getting. But because we have no idea how much money the WNBA is generating, it's hard to know what that number is. Where is the... The point of it being fair because I think all reasonable intelligent honest people men too I'm, I'm talking to us men right now we have to understand the women deserve to be paid more than what they're getting and I don't want to hear oh man you know they only have to play X amount of months bang, bang, bang. Nah. because the point is the NBA for whatever reason we don't know how much they, they make we don't know how much they put into the WNBA. There's so much about this that is so murky, right? And cryptic and just hard to really pinpoint a number. But it is worth, it's, it's, it's worth, I guess, us saying that the NBA views the WNBA as an asset. Because for many years, the WNBA, we do know, was not generating money, Right? We don't know how much the, the league is generating now, but we do have an idea that they are making money. For many years before this, the, the WNBA was not generating money, but the NBA continued to put money into it. You don't do that. We talk, we're talking about some of the smartest men in terms of business sense. All of the owners in the NBA have made money out of business. They're not just going to take on an endeavor if they're going to lose money unless there is a payoff. There is a payoff with the WNBA. We don't know what it is, but it's it's reasonable to suggest that they there is a reason why they have it. So if it is an asset, treat it as such. Correct? Now, this whole idea then explodes because of the new rule in terms of the, I don't want to say one and done, but the college rule where the G League the developmental league of the NBA is now offering, I want to say it was six figures. I don't I want to say it's 180,000. I'm not, I'm not certain. Let's just say it's a 150. Okay. I, again, I apologize for not having these numbers down concrete, but I believe it was $180,000 to the highest scale high school athletes who will forego college. So they play in the G league for one year. They get this, annual salary of 180,000 or so and then they can enter the NBA draft the following year. However, that money that they'd be giving to the G League players is more than a max contract salary of the WNBA. And I'm fairly certain that the WNBA generates more money than the G League. 
You get what I'm saying? So again, it's obvious that the NBA views these players coming into college or foregoing college and coming into the G League as an asset and as an easy line link to make, right? These players, they, the, the, the idea, the hope is that they will become future stars of the league. Everybody who's playing in the G League is not going to get this 180K. The top guys, the, the, the high recruits, the players who skip college to play in the G League, they will get this money because the NBA, right, it is fair to assume that they view these guys as players who potentially will be the next big stars of the NBA. Again, the G League doesn't generate income, but the NBA and the owners view it as an opportunity, as an asset. So that's why they put the money there. So that kind of debunks the entire, well, you're not generating money, so you shouldn't deserve this much. Because we have a, a real tangible example from the G League. The WNBA makes more money than the G League does. So why would you play players coming out of high school who skip college more money than you would pay your superstars, your Sue Birds, your Maya Moores? Why would you do that? Your Skylar Diggs, like... The Elena Deladons, what would be the, what's the, the mindset? What's the logic there? It's easy to look at the women if you want to and be like, oh man, I don't know. They're making a lot of money anyway. But understand where they're coming from. So many times, and this is one of the reasons why I don't do the debate stuff on this pod, because so many times we get into debates and we start listening only to reply. We don't listen to hear. The women, imagine how insulting that is. You're one of the best basketball players in the world, and you see a, a high school player who skips college get more money in a year than you're making. And all the while when you've been, been complaining for a year and years and years, the response to your criticism, right, your, the response to your complaints have been, oh, well, you guys aren't generating money. A, we have no idea. We don't know how much money the league is making. So no one can sit there and say that. But more importantly now, to B, if the response has always been, you guys aren't generating money, that's why you're not getting these larger contracts. You got kids, kids going to a league that does not generate money, making more money than you. Like we all should understand how lame and how whack that is no matter what side you 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 fall on this debate but again it's it's clear to know that the nba and why the nba views the g league as an asset we do know that the nba must view the wnba as an asset we just don't know the thinking right it's easy to be like bomb this kid gets this contract. We want him to get this contract and we want him to be in the NBA to be adjusted to league life. And then boom, he could potentially be one of the league stars in the next few years. In the WNBA, we like to think that the NBA did this because it's the right thing to do. But again, these are businessmen, businesswomen, business people. I don't have any faith that they do things just because it's right. Not me. Maybe I'm jaded, but that's not where I fall in line. There is a reason why they have the WNBA and still continue to put money into it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what they think it is. Once we get to that point, we can then 
probably have an honest discussion about where the percentage of the BRI should be. But we don't know. Just like we don't know what they generate. Just like we don't even know how much money the NBA puts in the WNBA anymore. We have no idea about any of this. None of it. So while I get why the WNBA shouldn't do a 50-50 split with the women in terms of the BRI, because I don't know how much money they make. And, a, and if they're not making a significant amount of money, a 50-50 split just isn't feasible from a business standpoint. But I don't know if the women want a 50-50 split. I'm sure they'd be happy with it, but I don't know if that's what they're demanding. I believe that they should get more than the 20 to 25% that they're getting now. Absolutely. But where should that number be? It's hard to know it without knowing how much the league generates. You see what I'm saying? So much, just like in life, there every, people want to make things a right and wrong, uh, a good and bad, black and white dis decision, the discussion. When in reality, the world is filled in gray. There's nuance to so much of this stuff. And as someone who wants these women to get paid more, because they get paid a lot of money overseas. They get paid a lot of money overseas. I would love for them to get paid more because as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed the WNBA far more than I did as a teenager. Far more. Far more as I did as a 20-year-old. So, yes, I would love for them to get paid more because I feel it's right. But, again, business never is about right and wrong. Never is it about that. Business is about green and black. Are you making money or are you not? And as it stands right now, until we know what the league makes, until we know what the NBA puts into the WNBA, and until we know how much money the, the WNBA players want, it's hard to be at any point on the extreme in this discussion. Hopefully I tackled that with the, the appropriate amount of intelligence i know i didn't have all the numbers nailed down but you i think you guys can understand the overall premise the overall point man just, we got to get off this whole y'all don't make a lot of money so y'all shouldn't want more money nah i don't know how much money you make at your job but i'm sure you want more i don't know how much money you generate at your place of employment but you would take more you would want more especially if you're looking across the street and seeing people get paid as much if not more than you so we got to get off that, man, because that's that's super lame. But we also have to be real about the discussion about salaries and be like, look, I know what I think is right, but right and wrong never exists in business. It just doesn't because it all comes down to how much money you're making. It all comes down to green, bro. But that's a topic that we can discuss for days and days hours and hours on end my time is up this week but before i go i once again want to thank my guy mike bassetti from raptorsrapture.com for spending some time with me and discussing the red hot toronto raptors and of course i always want to thank each and every one of you all for listening to the show spending about an hour 15 20 minutes with me each and every thursday again i thank you all so much for rocking with me for another hour i'll see you right back here next week for episode 81, sheesh, going by fast, man. Episode 81 of the Quarterly Report. <laughs>